Welcome to the Church of Mavis Radio. It's Friday night. Uh, we're all still alive. We're all kicking, moshing to the apocalypse. And just uh, really quick, I wanted to get see who the guests coming up are just for the next month. We're about to have a lot of next week, no show. It's Thanksgiving. Uh, I get too fat and I can't do a show that Friday after Thanksgiving. <laughs> And uh, let's see. Oh, December 2nd, our good friend, Andy Colvin, Mothman photographer, who I wrote books Mm -hmm. with. He's got a lot to say about uh, a lot. (laughs) His last (laughs) phone call was pretty interesting. We got into strange Nazi stuff in the uh, community, like weird, in a bad light, Nazi stuff. Yeah. But yeah, basically, it's going to be crazy. Listen to it. Uh, I have that Polaroid Andy sent me a long time ago of the Mothman that's supposedly in his window. I don't, it's weird. It looks like a big, weird bug head looking in his window. I don't think it's fake. It looks, it's very strange. I found it on one of my shelves. I have a bunch of stuff, you know, weird stuff like that. December 9th, uh, Naja Lightwood, another Llewellyn guest. Uh, December 16th, Matthew Ash McKernan. Weird craft. That's a Norse one. Looking forward to that. And uh, just real quick. Oh, we're off for a few weeks in December. Only three shows. And then uh, I've started with January. And so far we got with Wham, Bruce Hallenbach. Uh, oh, yeah. Like a paranormal Hudson Valley kind of book with some Sasquatch and paranormal and all kinds of stuff from small town uh, monsters. And uh, looking forward to that. And uh we may have to uh, buy that one because they don't haven't respond to my review request. So just giving you a heads up that it comes out in November. We may have to both. Uh, no, that's you know, I'm planning on purchasing it anyway. So yeah, it's, it's I'll no do biggie. it for sure. Uh, no biggie. I'm trying to score a free one. They're not replying. But anyway, Graham Ganson, January 27th. This is uh, so far. I got to do the rest of the year. Graham Ganson has done artwork for the church of Mabus for so long. I can't even keep up with it. Like the weirdest artwork you could ever imagine from skinwalkers to weird Cthulhu beings, eating people to all kinds of weird stuff with that logo on it. (laughs) But he's finally coming on the show. So we're looking forward to that one. And, uh, tonight's guest. It's uh, great to have you two here. Uh, uh, Jason Mankey. And uh, let's see. Astrea uh, Taylor. Astrea yeah. Taylor. Astrea. Yeah. My name gets butchered a lot, but it's Greek. And that's why. <laughs> Born in Georgia. I will butcher it. That's Ast- okay. actually. Ast- Astrea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Accent on the second syllable. Okay. Say it one more time for everyone. Astrea. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this book is fascinating. I love it. I love all these kind of things. These stories, these, you know, my first introduction to uh, Greek, you know, at all was uh, at the drive-in Clash of the Titans when I was a kid. That was probably my first crash course. I'm sure I'd heard of it in school or something. But uh, what was the uh, the catalyst that got you two together to make this book? Do you want to go? Sure. Um, yeah. It's so funny. It was one of, it was uh, the first conversation I ever had with Jason out, you know, uh, it, it was, um, we were both saying that, you know, we love the Greek gods so much. This is back in 2017 at a PSG. 
we first met and um, we were both saying like how we love them so much. They're so important to us. A lot of people love them as well, but there wasn't a book that really went into their mythology and their cultural history and some magical practices that were more modern in scope. And so that very day, we were like, we should write this book together because he had written many books and I'd written two books, both fiction at the time. But, um, you know, the pandemic hit and uh, I finished up my books and he finished up his books and we were like, let's do it. Why not? Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we had the idea to get guest author passages of modern devotees where we didn't know anything about those. Uh, no, we didn't like practice with those deities. We wanted like a personal experience with them. So um, it all fell together and we really loved the results. Well, can someone tell me what it's like to do one of these rituals and interact with one of these beings uh, or give me like you know, a breakdown of how that, you know, how that goes. I'm trying to imagine it. And I'm someone that's seen really, you know, weird things. That's why we do the show. Just uh, I've told this story a million times. 17 testicular cancer had to go through chemo. A few years later, my dad died. Next thing you know, I was having bizarre paranormal experiences from UFO stuff over multiple houses that I live with multiple witnesses to strange beings of light leaving my home to cloak beings in the woods standing around a black box. So my point is I've seen weird stuff and do believe that, you know, we interact with these things, but I'm trying to understand the experience when you invoke one of these Greek deities. <laughs> I think you have to start when you think about the Greek deities, you usually think about certain qualities that are associated with most of them. So let's take Aphrodite, because that's an easy one, where you associate Aphrodite with love and pleasure. And when you do a ritual to Aphrodite and she shows up, everyone feels that love. Everybody feels a little amorous sometimes when you do those kind of rituals. Their energies kind of just take over the ritual space and they affect us when we're doing ritual with them. I did a pan ritual once at a festival. Pan is the Greek god of lust and panic and several other things. And, you know, they told me it had to be PG, which was disappointing to me personally. But I wrote them a PG ritual for this god of lust. And, you know, I tried to do a ritual where people would feel good about themselves and confident about themselves. And we had all of this pan energy and people were like looking at each other longingly in the eyes everything was very consensual we had no problems with that but later that night there were stories of people having sex in the stairwells of this hotel and i don't want to take credit for it but i'm gonna take credit for it because of my ritual and that's what ritual with the greek gods can be like that's definitely fascinating i'm a capricorn so i understand the the, the pan hijinks for sure one of the weirdest things i've ever read about capricorn and i, I don't know if I've, I've tried to find this story uh and i i haven't i don't know if you've ever heard it but i read somewhere that pan was caught pleasuring himself by the gods and as punishment he was thrown in the nile river and given a serpentine tail as a dark unconscious and that was like their whole reason why capricorn that was just a weird story i never saw it again i don't even remember where the hell i saw it but i know there's weird pan stuff out there <laughs> no doubt about it that's fascinating for sure uh, have you ever heard that one about Capricorn or, you know, anything like that? I have never, I've written extensively about Pan and I've never heard that story, but he was the god of masturbation. So there is a, there, there is definitely like a ring of truth to it somewhere. 
Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd have to, I've tried to Google that one again, and just it didn't come up. But <laughs> I, I want to know what you typed in for the Google search. Yeah. And Nile masturbation Pan punishment. <laughs> but yeah, Pan is a trip for sure. And uh, born December 26, 1974. And uh, definitely uh, I, have a, I, I try to look at Pan like those kind of creatures. We do Bigfoot shows and have people in here dead serious about seeing like these woodland creatures, you know, face to face in the woods. So it's definitely, you know, neat to think about for sure. So what 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 are some of the uh, other gods? Have you done Zeus, the man himself? And of course, now I see Russell Crowe from the freaking Thor movie every time I think of Zeus from that, that newest Thor movie, which was iffy as far as review wise. But that's who I think of now for some reason. Um, yeah, we have had direct experiences with many of these deities, and while we may not be devotees to every single one, a lot of them have helped us in our lives. Um, I tell this story all the time. People are like, how'd you get into paganism? And I picked up a mythology book when I was a kid, you know, kind of like similar to watching Clash of the Titans, I imagine. And I was moved so much, like I had my first ecstatic experience as a child reading this book, uh, reading about Artemis running through the woods. And um, I just was so moved that um, I just wanted to do it again and again and again. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I started with Artemis and, you know, I went from there and throughout my life, different deities have come through. You know, when I was in graduate school, Athena held me and picked me up and was like, we're going to cross this football finish line and like kind of chug me over the finish line. <laughs> and um, she stuck around when I was writing my books too. So that's a very intellectual deity who helps with craftsmanship. <laughs> I hear the dogs. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and then there's Hecate as well, or Hecate, depending on how you want to pronounce it. You know, um, she's so popular and a lot of modern witches really love her because she's the goddess of magic and witchcraft in ancient Greece. And she had a widespread cult following. It was huge. And that was one of the things that we drew upon when we were writing this. You know, this is a lot of people did magic and witchcraft kind of stuff. You know, we're in this modern age, though. So we just kind of slanted it toward the modern age. Um, some of it was inspired by the, the history, but there's a lot to be inspired by with the historical practices too. So I think that's where we really went with it. And, you know, our, our personal experiences and other people's experiences really helped inform it. So the Greek gods, is there like a, a Ragnarok for them or something like some apocalyptic end time event? That's, you know, for them, I don't, uh, I don't, nothing rings a bell, but uh, all their stories are kind of like that though, aren't they? You you know, there's some like really kind of interesting ideas about Ragnarok that it could be like a Christian addition, like addition to the myths to give it a more revelationary sort of ending because they were written down so many centuries after Christianity took over. But one of the things about the Greek gods, which is so fascinating, is they are constantly reborn and they come to different places and you see them again and again just sort of show up. Like when you think that you can finally count them out, they come back. You know, the Middle Ages was not a good time for the Greek gods, necessarily. Christianity sort of taken over, even depictions of the Greek gods when they were mentioned at all. Like sometimes Zeus would be shown as a monk or something, which is really unsettling. But then in the Italian Renaissance, all of a sudden, all of these images of the Greek gods like come tumbling back into Rome. And it looked more pagan 
in the year 1400 than it probably did in the year 200. And all of a sudden they became something that was really popular in art in storytelling again. And just people not necessarily worshiping them, but knowing who they were and referencing them in day-to-day lives. And then you see that again periodically. Every couple hundred years, they just sort of sprout back up. Bullfinch's mythology in the 1700s. And then you have Edith Hamilton's mythology in the 1950s. And now you see Percy Jackson. So they just kind of keep coming back and coming back. Like there is no end to the Greek gods. I think that they will always be here and in oh so many different places. Definitely. Does anybody ever invoke Medusa in a ritual? Is that something that happens? That seems like that'd be scary on some level. Yeah, and she is. She's very intense. Um, but I love her. She she's very feminist too. You know, she's um, she's got this energy that's so powerful. And uh, yeah, I just I love her. I teach a whole workshop about her myth and magic and the way she's evolved throughout the ages. You know, she's had so many rewrites to her story. It's more than any other, a lot of other stories that are out there. Her, her mythology has just changed so much. So it's interesting. And you got to think about which one you want to draw upon, which culture believed which parts of this being, you know, and which strengths did she have at that time? Because they all changed. Her image, her imagery changed, her strengths. Um, her being able to turn people to stone was a much later addition, as well as the snake hair, uh, more of a Roman-esque kind of influence. For the most part that's one thing that's fascinating about the greek gods we feel like we have this story of them and it's presented in mythology books but there were def there were like many different mythologies of the greek gods and they didn't always agree like their parentage would be different from story to story and then it being like medusa who's been sort of put in a very secondary or even third sort of role and is just sort of a bad guy but she was originally a goddess and to some people was probably the goddess to them like the most important deity and then she got downplayed and downplayed and downplayed and it's great now to be able to look back at history and kind of uncover the layers and then build these relationships with deity again and see them in the light that they were first originally worshipped in maybe 27, 2,500 years ago. Yeah, because I mean, you have this like feeling about a deity and you're like, why do I like Medusa so much? Because she's a badass, you know, according to the most popular retelling. But to know the whole evolution of her history, well, at least as far as what we know, is super fascinating to, to go back in time and look at art fragments and um, what people were saying and pieces uh, of relief on a temple. You know, she was um, at the very head of the temple of Artemis. And um, there are people who theorize about that stuff way more than in the 1950s. So we've come a long way from Edith Hamilton's mythology, but that's the very book that I read that inspired me. So, I mean, it has its place, but um, really, I think you have to look at things within the whole context and not just the myth. You have to look at the cultural history as well, from what we know about it anyway. And uh, what are some of the things that you talk about when it comes to like the rituals and the invocations and stuff? What are some of the things that, that are around that you use? That's a pretty tough one because like there's not like a book of Greek, ancient Greek ritual that has survived. So when we put together what religion might have been like for the ancient Greeks, we're using archaeological evidence, uh, fragments from pottery, letters, plays, and then myths itself. 
So we're, we're not exactly always sure what happened. We know that they said the Homeric hymns during a lot of rituals, and we have the Homeric hymns. We know we have their temples, so we kind of have an idea of what goes on in the temples. And we have descriptions of ritual, but we don't have all the liturgy. It's, it's sort of a guessing game or like a puzzle that you have to put together yourself to decide like maybe exactly how they did everything. Yeah, we do have some archaeological fragments of like um, curse curses, you know, those little lead tablets that people wrote curses upon. We have, you know, offerings that people left um, and there are sometimes writings upon those like they would petition the gods for this or for that. Um, it's, it's, you know, we're combining a lot of like archaeology, like Jason said, into things and, you know, more uh, recent knowledge. So it's really fascinating, but we do just take that modern approach. You know, we, we use the correspondences of the deities, like what, uh, you know, for instance, Medusa or Athena, uh, they're both, uh, they have snake correspondences, right? Um, birds as well. And so you can, you can use that in ritual, you can use that in spell work, um, using their names, using their uh, epitaphs or what they were known as, you know, whether it was like truthsayer or, um, you know, whatever, there's, there's tons of different epitaphs for the gods and we go into some of that. So, yeah. It's, and, you know, I, I wrote the book intuitive witchcraft. I really think that you can create something unique and authentic. That's your own that resonates with you using the correspondences that make sense to you and that you feel are powerful to make this spell or a ritual. That's really just going to work out um, according to what you believe. And I know Jason feels the same way. And uh, what about the Titans? How does that come up? That's always fascinating how these different cultures have these, you know, big beings, these giant like beings. Yeah, I, you know, like it, it is really weird, like how a lot of world mythology is kind of the same in a lot of ways, right? Like everybody has dragons, for instance. Everybody seems to have giants. Like, it feels like there's, like, some sort of institutional memory within a lot of humanity when it comes to a lot of these mythological ideas. And, uh, you know, and also probably a lot of these ideas are inspired by real things, too, like very tall people or dinosaur bones, like, might have inspired dragons or something, right? If you saw that, you would think, wow, there's something out there that probably looks like this. Little people, that's an interesting one for sure with the native culture and, you know, dwarfs and things like that and other, you know, cultures. Uh, it's definitely fascinating. And they've actually found little hobbit bones or something. I don't know the exact story to that one, but I've seen that one. Little, <laughs> little hobbit bones. The little hobbit bones. Little but, hobbit bones. For sure. So, uh, Wham, do you do any uh, Greek invocations? Well... I have had a curious experience in the last couple of years uh, where for some reason um, it was quite an, quite a weird thing for me um, considering what I what I usually do in my life. But for some reason I I woke up I mean it sort of seemed this way. I woke up one morning and and um, Aphrodite was sort of up my butt. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, uh, um, I was sort of being forced by circumstances in my life to reconsider her. And I had always had sort of a, oh, I don't know, stereotypical view of her. 
you know, and in our, um, you know, in, in my life anyway, um, I, in my life anyway, I, I've always kind of seen her in a Marvel comic sort of way, you know, sort of like a femme fatale kind of thing, which I guess she could sort of be. But I didn't experience her that way. I experienced her as kind of fierce and, uh, you know, fierce about love, if that makes any sense. And, and not, not necessarily in a lustful way, although that might be part of it, but sort of like, you know, if, if love is what you're needing or, or you need an advocate for it, she's, she can sort of keep your back, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I thought that it was kind of an interesting energy. And so I did a little research on it and found out that, you know, Sappho, of ever, you know, the only the only fully extant, you know, the, the famous Greek poet, the only poem of hers that we have the complete poem of, is a is one of her poems to um, Aphrodite, and it's an invocation, and um, so I started using that because I didn't know anything about Aphrodite other than she was like this great goddess of love stuff, you know, and. Um, it just sort of gradually developed into an interesting kind of relationship. So um, I do some stuff for her every month and um, kind of pay attention to some of the guidance that she gives me about stuff. And, uh, and she, you know, I don't, it's not that I ask her for much, but I, I mostly ask her for advice, you know, or insight about certain things. And, she's always come through. I mean, so I don't know what that's about I, because I'm not really much of a Greekophile. I mean, I read Hamilton, Edith Hamilton years and years ago when I was maybe about six or seven years old, you know? Um, and I do remember certain of the, of the myths they, they did, but I was always born to Egyptian stuff than I was into Greek stuff, you know, when I was a kid. Um, I just kind of liked Egyptian stuff better. But but anyway, you know, I figure it's all good. So she's, you know, I got this statue of her, and she's over there on one of my altars, and she teaches me about love stuff. That's all I know, you know, about, about you know, everything, everything that I do with her has sort of been taken from that invocation and, and little bits of reading here and there. And, um, you know, just kind of things she's told me. And I just, that's just what, what it is. So whatever it is, I know it's real. I mean, I know that, I know that all of those deity forms are real in one way or another, if you connect with them. So, um, you know, regardless of what tradition it is or whatever, um, I'm not, I'm not an expert at all. It's she, she's not very demanding in terms of, you know, you don't have to like set a circle and do all that kind of stuff. I just have to, she, there are just certain specific things she likes for me. Like she, she likes certain types of flowers on her altar and she, she likes certain types of floral scents, which are not the kinds of scents I like at all. So, so it's like, for me, it's a little bit of a sacrifice. Um, and, uh, you know, just 
Thanks for I, sharing. It's I, I, I can speak to that. I can speak to that, but not an expert. I know uh, one thing you we just talked about paying a little, I know, but you have a lot of different people's uh, interpretations of him or, you know, who've written in the book. Is there anything else you can think of about Pan that you'd like to share? That's one that I've always found fascinating. Like I said, and doesn't come up that often on the show. Also curious, how did they like talk about him back in those days? Like, like was he? It wasn't. He's not really the devil. Christianity stole that you know image from him in a lot of different ways. But I just wonder amongst society how he came up. You know, you know, and things like that. You know, like. Uh, so I'm a huge Pan person. Like, I have another book about horned gods, and I've written extensively about Pan in there. I mean, Pan in the ancient world was probably, and I, and I say this with love, Pan, was probably like a B-minus sort of god. I mean, he was not someone who was particularly high up in the hierarchy of deity. And people worshipped Pan when they felt a need to worship Pan. And usually that need had something to do with like sexual desires not being fulfilled or maybe trying to procreate or maybe they just needed something a little bit more wild in their life. Pan occupied a, like a very different place in society. He was not completely wild, but he was not someone who lived in civilization. So he was kind of the link between more wild spaces and civilization. And to disrupt Pan in the tranquility of the forest was to get yourself into a lot of trouble. Like all of his major worship centers were always outside of town. He was not someone who had giant temples in Athens or Sparta or anything like that. You know, he was somebody whose cave was six or seven miles outside of town in a remote spot and probably no one really tended to it. And every once in a while people would go there because they just felt a need to go there and see him. But there was something that about pan that really appealed to philosophers and uh, people of high status they really respected the rusticness of that like people who lived in cities like rome or athens would often lament how they felt disconnected from lart like from their rural lives that they knew that they had come from long ago and they would use pan sort of as a connection for that in the 19th century english poets did the exact same thing feeling disconnected from the land they started writing about Pan as a connection to the lost English countryside, or at least the countryside that they thought was lost. Most of those poets had always been city people and had never lived in the in the country anyways. Uh, so Pan was like a figure that was people would sort of wax romantic about because he was so different than the rest of the gods. You know, Pan lived on Earth, right? I mean, all the other gods live on Mount Olympus, right? They're in the ether. They're, they're far away. Maybe Artemis is out, you know, playing in the woods, but the chances of seeing her seem pretty slim and quite dangerous if you do run across her. But Pan was right there. He was running around, and he had always been right there. So he was very unique in that sense. Was there any kind of, like, uh, background story to him, like where he came from or anything like that? Like any, like, stories that kind of, you know... I know in Clash of the Titans, that thing kind of looks like him, but it, I don't know if that's considered, I don't think it's Pan, but the weird, you know, dude with the hoofs and everything. Uh, Pan is usually considered the son of Hermes, and the mother varies quite a bit. You would think that would be the one thing that you would know would be his mom, but 
the Greeks were very patriarchal, so they were less concerned with that. But Pan is from a region of Greece known as Arcadia, and we know he's directly from this place. And Arcadia is unlike most other places in Greece in that it most of Greece is hilly and rocky, but Arcadia even more so, uh, to the point where there are no there were no large cities in Arcadia because there was no place to build them. Uh, so Pan's origins then are extremely, extremely rustic. And he came to Athens relatively late. Usually it's he shows up kind of at the Battle of Marathon. Uh, he, he runs into a runner and says, if you start worshiping me in Athens, I will help you defeat the Persians. And the, the runner, Philippides, says, sure, that sounds great. And no one ever relates what Pan did to help the Athenians beat the Persians. But they did turn back the Persians. And so at the base of the Acropolis, there's a cave dedicated to Pan. If you, if you ever go to Athens and you're walking to the Acropolis, the first thing you see is the sanctuary of Pan. And I, went, I was there in 2018. And the fact that that was the first thing I saw, I almost shit my pants. I was like so excited and happy. Uh, so that's kind of the origin of Pan, so to speak. It's fascinating to watch Pan in Greek art because it, at the beginning, he's very, very goat-like. Goat-like face, always a giant erect phallus. The, the goat legs, which he kept for the most part. But over time, his look sort of softens, and he has more human features. Like, he doesn't keep the goat face. He has a more human face, but he usually keeps the goat legs. But even in Pompeii and Herculaneum, which were both covered by Mount Vesuvius uh, during the early Roman, like Roman Empire period, there are pictures of Pan where he even has human legs. He just kind of continued to change over time uh, in the ancient world. What is the weird uh, statue of him having intercourse with a goat? Is that a real statue somewhere? Is that just like yeah, some... but yeah? There is a statue of him. Yeah, having intercourse yeah. With a goat. it's from it's from Herculaneum, the city right next to Pompeii. Yeah, yeah, that's wow. one of my favorite <laughs> pictures of him. That that yeah. that sheep is obviously consenting, right? I mean, it's very <laughs> yeah. obvious that the sheep is consenting. Of course. Pan, you know, Pan was a god of panic sexuality. So Pan loved women, Pan loved men, and Pan loved uh, farm animals and his own hand, apparently. But it was all about what was available at the time. <laughs> As a god of shepherds, he was isolated from the rest of the world for long periods of time. So he took what he could get. I think Pan in the modern age has, has stopped having sex with farm animals, though. Yeah. I, I feel relatively comfortable. Saying. I mean, that's a very Roman thing to, like, yeah. glorify that kind of stuff. <laughs> I, I'm that not even sure it's glorified. I just think it's funny. I think it was probably meant to be funny, right? And I, I think sometimes in the modern age, we take this these kind of things too literally and too seriously. Well, can, you, uh, can each of you share some more uh, stories of interacting with different beings? Um, yeah, sure. Um, well, um, I share a story in the book about Dionysus, and it, I don't know if you can believe it, but I was a very awkward teenager, <laughs> and a very awkward, um, I didn't know how to dance for a long time, and I refused to learn how to. I'd kind of just like, I, don't, I didn't ever feel comfortable in my own skin for a long time, and I feel like a lot of people can relate to that when they're very young, even maybe even now. Um, but I started getting into dancing when I was getting into 
pagan experiences. I went to a pagan gathering when I was very pretty young, you know, early 20s, I, I believe. And it, I think I hear a dog again. <laughs> that is the pig. Oh, okay. He's, he's got a pig. Fabulous. He's got a little pet pig. And this one makes lots of noise. Christina um, got a mini pig at some point, and I guess it's still a mini pig, but they're great at first, but after a while, <laughs> I you, think if you hear a Snickers paper, that's <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. a horror movie, but yeah, it's she's very, just um, evocative, but I mean, that's kind of like the wild state that I was feeling, you know, I, I got into dancing and I just got into trance dancing and with the music and with alcohol and um, sometimes, most of the time, I don't know, but it, it just made sense. It made sense. Like, um, Dionysian experiences are static and they're, it's funny because I, I always felt like I was outside of my body and they say ecstatic experiences are outside of your body. But once I was in my body, in my skin, feeling comfortable dancing, having a great time, that's when I was transported into this ecstatic state. I was outside of my mind and in my body and into my spirit then. So I share some of that uh, along with, you know, I would go to dance clubs and just where the music is like so loud and just scream out Dionysus and like feel this ecstasy wash over me. It's immediately accessible. A lot of these deities, you don't have to have a whole ritual to invoke them, to feel them, to know them, to have their presence with you and their assistance. Once you have that connection with them, just even thinking about them, you have a little bit more power, a little bit more ability to do whatever it is you want to do or you need to do. Um, Jason, did you have anything to add or another experience to add? Well, you know, I'm also a Dionysus devotee. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love Dionysus. There's something very ecstatic about Dionysus. It's very different from the rest of the gods. It's not just about the wine in the cup that I'm drinking. Uh, there's something just intoxicating about talking about Dionysus. Sometimes he just brings about sort of a change in consciousness. When I was younger, I used to do a lot of rituals honoring Jim Morrison of the Doors. As the I was just century. thinking of that with Dionysus. Yeah. First thing that came to mind. <laughs> yeah, we used to do rituals uh, dedicated to Dionysus all to the music of the Doors. And those were just some really great rituals. I mean, there was just, the music is transformative in its own way. And we would all have sort of experiences while we were doing these rituals. I know that I would feel as if the God himself was like in my own body doing things. Uh, one of those rituals, I remember kissing a girl I had always wanted to kiss, and then I didn't remember it, you know, and that was all because he was in charge. And we had a little discussion after that. It's like, let me remember those things. <laughs> um, I also think of Dionysus, especially uh, at Christmas, which some people think is odd. But if you look at the ghost of Christmas present in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, he looks like Bacchus, the Roman version of Dionysus. And that God in the that spirit in Charles Dickens is one uh, full of joy and festivity, just like Dionysus. But he also kind of has this other side to him, the side, you know, where he says, you know, like society has all of these problems. And Dionysus was very complex in that way, too, that he wasn't just a God of partying and fun. Dionysus was also a God of like, don't party too much or I'm going to punish you. Like there's a pleasure that you can take from life, but there's also a place that you can go where it's too far. 
and you need to be aware of that. So yeah, love love Dionysus. Uh, I think Estrella and I have like very similar tastes in the gods. I also think that for whatever reason, Dionysus, Aphrodite, and Pan, amongst and Hecate, but amongst modern pagans, tend to be more popular. And if you go back and you look at their worship in the ancient world, it was often markedly different from how other gods were worshipped in the ancient world. Pan and Dionysus had a lot of women who worshipped them. And mm -hmm. oftentimes men worshipped with women. And that was usually out of bounds within Greek religion. Usually men would worship one way, women would worship another and at a different time. And if you were worshipping Pan and Dionysus, it was encouraged that everybody would be together at the same time. Just kind of off the cuff, what I was thinking of Jim Morrison when he says, I am the Lizard King. Do you know exactly what he meant by that or why he said that or any background on that? I always try to figure that out. Acid. Acid will do things <laughs> yeah. to your brain. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, maybe he got his snakeskin boots confused with lizard boots. I mean, he used to actually masturbate on stage, so he's he's very, like, pan-oriented. overstated. I mean, like, people aren't sure if that's true or not. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I just read a witness account about it. That's all. It's, but I, I mean, was, it's, yeah. it's hypnosis. Interesting. Hypnosis wouldn't surprise me that I wouldn't. Uh, I don't know, but uh, I always wonder just what it meant. But I know I, I was surprised. Well, I don't know why I'd be surprised at the Oliver Stone movie. They said there were so many indiscrepancies in it about him that weren't true and stuff like that. Like I read some article about that, but I like the movie regardless. But mm -hmm. I just kind of wonder. Dionysuses. I've definitely heard of him <laughs> i have to invoke it more often but yeah one of my big experiences on psychedelics and i've had quite a few uh was a dragon was holding me in its hand and i felt like a, a doll almost and it was really weird like there was some weird stuff with the moon that was odd but later i come across a story about supposedly i know there's a lot of can do about king arthur but supposedly a comet came through before his reign and he saw it and then uh later oh then i came across a vlad the impaler story about a comet before his reign i don't know how much of this is fiction or whatever but they were in some kind of book somewhere but anyway and at that time i i i was uh, a hell bot passed through and there was a lot of weird stuff about that comet with a uh, heaven's gate and some companion object. A lot of it was probably BS, but I know they said there's some hoaxing with the companion object situation, but uh, the psychedelic experiences from DMT to different things. Uh, I've, I've felt different types of beings, but one of my biggest ones was at Silver Lake in Mariana, completely sober, not even on nicotine. I, something told me to go outside and look at the sky above my house and I saw two shining beams of light leave my house as if they'd been inside of it, flew through the roof and flew into the heavens. And it was like something out of a movie, like I'll never forget it. Just talking about it now, I get goosebumps every time I bring it up. And I don't know if it was deceased loved ones or aliens or angels or what the hell it was, or us without our bodies maybe, I think. But it's just interesting to hear these different interactions with 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 beings, you know. It's uh, it's what I live for for sure, and it's definitely uh, fascinating. And uh, we do the UFO subject on here a lot too. And uh, I mean, we've had Captain Robert Salas on, who's still enlisted in the Air Force, that wrote a book about UFOs coming down and shutting down the missile silos. And this dude's still enlisted and putting out a book, which I'm sure they gave him permission to put out. But it's just interesting to hear about these different kind of 
interactions do when you do these rituals and through your different paths of walking you know uh your belief system have paranormal events or ufo type stuff ever come up or anything like that that you'd like to share i'll take this one jason um because i've ha i think i've had spookier experiences than you have <laughs> um oh. yeah <laughs> okay so um <laughs> i've had an out-of-body experience where i was held by my spirit guide and you know we talk about giants this it was um this is completely separate from greek gods by the way <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was an out-of-body experience, and um, I was communicating telepathically with my spirit guide. Like he told me his name, um, and you know it's hard to navigate the astral realm, but he held me in his arms as I was trying to navigate everything, and we communicated that way for a while. It was really interesting, and he was um, giant. You know, he was this giant light being this being made of light i don't know any other way to describe it it was like this bluish white light crystalline almost like almost like an outline but also uh, a human like at the same time and the first time i ever had an out-of-body experience i thought aliens got me because i froze i had a I, I froze like right in front of my dresser drawers i could see the knob and i thought aliens got me but when i told my mom she had had them before as well and she told me that, you know, everything, you know, that what that's what was happening. It wasn't alien, probably. <laughs> I mean, who knows, right? But um, yeah, it was a it was a very awkward experience. I was very young when that happened. And that's why, uh, you know, I say the other world kind of came for me as a young child. A lot of spooky experiences happened that I couldn't explain. And that's why my first book that I ever bought was the psychic protection book, protection against weird things happening to me and like not being quite so open to everything. Well, thanks for sharing. Definitely. You got anything, Jason? You know, like there's an old adage in magical where like magical practice that says like attracts like. And so when we're doing ritual, when we're like, we cast a magical circle to contain our energy and sort of create sacred space. But sometimes when we do ritual. It feels like there are things that come in and look at the circle, like they're attracted to the circle and you can sort of feel their energy around you. And, you know, sometimes it's not like a bad energy. And then sometimes you desperately want them to go away. And we were doing ritual once and one of our coven members, like he grabbed like my ritual knife and like ran to the corner and like started like stabbing something. So yeah, there's like, we've had some experiences with like other things often unwanted things. And and then at Samhain, which Halloween Samhain is sort of our festival to honor the dead. And I do feel the souls of the departed around me during that period of time. Not necessarily a ghost story necessarily, though I have some ghost stories, but I feel their energy and their presence, people that we know who have passed on, come back and, and visit us. We had a good friend die. Uh, just a year ago, and a lot of us felt him uh, this past Samhain, you know, in various places and things that we were doing, you know, like like a touch on the shoulder or something or a whisper in the ear. So, yeah, we've had some pretty cool experiences. Well, thanks for sharing. A lot of mine were uh, had UFO stuff to where you would see some type of craft over your house and it appeared that it was there. As a friend would say, Jeffrey, it seems like you're attracting them here. But the weird part is you see these things 
and I've seen some beans a few times, but like I say, like I've said before in other shows, when you see these beans, it's kind of like the Riddler from Batman just messing with you, showing you really quick. It's not like they come down and say, hey, Jeffrey, how are you doing? Let's have lunch. It's like a weird, you know, what the hell was that? Did I just see that? Did you see that too? And you're like, what the hell was that yeah. <laughs> kind of situation? It's like the Riddler messing with your head. But with the UFO stuff, I don't remember ever being taken or anything like that or abducted and probed or whatever. Maybe they have. Um, sometimes I wonder because I have fears. You know, I had uh, agoraphobia a lot during a lot of that stuff. And sometimes I still see stuff and nothing like my goldie oldies. But when you interact with those things, there's nothing like it. And you, when you stop having them, you want more of it. And then they're not, nothing happens usually. <laughs> but, uh, but there's been some weird ones where you see, where I've seen things that look like they're from a sci-fi movie over your house. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's why I do the show. That's why it's 14 years of, you know, trying to figure out what the hell happened. And still don't really know, but I'm still alive. So obviously they're not here with hostile intentions, or whatever to you know uh kill us and to uh take us over like pod people well maybe maybe a little with the pod people <laughs> yeah we're here to tell the tales <laughs> definitely i think it's about raising consciousness mostly with that kind of stuff uh one of my experiences i had at when i first started doing this i was having trouble getting interviews i said a prayer and then i had a ufo sighting with fiery weird red energy in the sky and i screamed and my brother and nephew came outside and they saw it. And the next thing you know, I was talking to Stanton Friedman, nuclear physicist. He's passed now on the phone and getting interviews with Jim Mars, who wrote Alien Agenda. And he also, Oliver Stone, put out his movie JFK, like legends. And it was like kind of connected in a weird way. Like did aliens give me the hookup with people? It kind of felt like that. <laughs> but it's always the Riddler thing for sure with, with it, you know, trying to pick up the pieces. And uh, Williams had a lot of experiences as well. We all have. That's what we do is just try to, you know, trying to figure it out. Trying to make sense of that kind of stuff is really interesting because um, you know what's happening to you at the time and you know what you see, you know what you feel, you know what you hear. And um, it's it's a mystery. This is the the great mysteries that religions and spirituality are built upon and being brave enough to say, okay, now what, you know, like now, what am I going to do with this? And, you know, I'm going to share this information. I'm going to talk to other people. I'm going to um, figure out some way where it has personal meaning to me. I think that's so significant and so powerful too. And that's, you know, unverified personal gnosis sometimes, but I live for that. And we, we base a lot of our stuff in modern witchcraft with the Greek gods about affirming your personal gnosis. It doesn't have to be the same for every single person. You know, Aphrodite, William can show up to you in this way for these reasons and to somebody else in another way and for other reasons. And I respect all of those things. As long as someone's not, you know, making stuff up or making a mockery of everything, then then it's all good. And I, I love hearing those stories too. They're so fascinating. I, I love hearing stories of the other world and deities and all kinds of spirits and uh, people's interactions with them. So yeah, thank you for sharing. You're welcome. And uh, Graham Ganson was asking about Pandora. That's Greek, right? Does that come up any in your books? I didn't see like a little chapter, but has she mentioned any or is there any insights on her? That's the chick that opened up the Hellraiser box situation, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, Pandora is mortal. Um, 
Uh, I don't know if you're about to say that, Jason, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think we skipped over her for that reason. We thought about it. I thought about it at least. He was just rambling about her in the chat. And, I was and Demeter as well, I believe, too. We do dedicate a lot to Demeter and the mysteries at Eleusis. Um, those were so powerful. Those are the most popular mysteries of the day. So we devote a lot of chapters and practice material to that. Hundreds sure. of thousands of people, like for <laughs> hundreds of years, practiced the mysteries at Eleusis. Over a thousand. Yeah, years. and we don't really talk about it or think about it very much, but I mean, a thousand years in the span of religion is a huge amount of time. And because it was a mystery religion, we don't know about enough about it, right? We don't know as much as we would like to know because people honored their oaths to keep it secret and to keep it private. But for whatever reason, people kept going back and going back and it gave people hope I think that's the kind of the most important thing about Eleusis. There was something about it that promised an afterlife or the survival of the soul when a lot of Greek religion really wasn't focused on that. So that's a, that's like another whole fascinating thing. And that ties into Demeter, you know, and she's a goddess of the harvest and the goddess of the grain. And yet she's also the keeper of these sacred mysteries. It's one of the reasons the Greek gods are so fascinating. And I mean, when you say, yeah, that she's also the goddess of, taking away the grain and the goddess of, um, you know, making it winter when her daughter is away and she's mad. <laughs> um, so what's fascinating is Jason and I saw that a lot of these deities had these dual facets that they were the providers and then the takers away of something, or they were um, one thing and the antithesis or the opposite of it as well. So we found that really fascinating. And, you know, to wrap our heads around that, like we think of, the way that most of us are raised in this modern culture is that, you know, a deity is one thing is only one thing, only these things. And to know that there are complexities that are kind of beyond our understanding is really fascinating. Yeah. I think that that's what surprised me about Aphrodite. I think I'd had a real kind of shallow understanding of her, but um, you know, uh, love is a kind of, you know, love is a kind of fierce thing in the sense that it has, a, it doesn't just have to do with desire. It, you know, what we think of as desire, it, if at least this is what I figured out. It has to do with being willing to really see oneself and what, and, and, and who and what one really desires for one's life in truth. So you have to kind of get to know certain parts of yourself. You have to become, or I've had to become accepting of myself um, and some of the things that I, I, that I want to experience or want to have in my life um, and, and being willing to do the work for them, you know, and being willing to ask for help with that, um, which is, you know, I, I don't know if it's because of the way I was raised as, as a certain type of Christian or female so that I, didn't feel like I deserved certain things. I mean, I don't know. There's probably all kinds of reasons, but um, yeah. So for me, it's really been, you know, her kind of forcing a kind of um, um, or initiating a kind of uh, self, really intense self-examination about being 
being deserving of what you want and then just sort of kind of putting your foot down about one mm-hmm. that, that makes sense, you know, and that's yeah. kind of what I mean by fierceness. It's not, you know, it, it's, she's not passive at all. You know, if it, in the times when I've asked her for help, she's gone out there and she's made stuff happen, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, that's not something that I really expected, I guess. And, and in an exchange, I have to be willing to do certain things or change certain things or think about certain things or, or take responsibility for certain things, you know. So it's, it is, they are multifaceted, you know, it's kind of any, like any kind of relationship. Yeah. And, um, you know, Aphrodite it was also a goddess of war and right. that a lot of people see her nowadays, um, is more holistic than the perhaps, you know, some of the ancient views that have been um, put out. And I lead this self-love with Aphrodite ritual to invoke her self-love aspects because so many people have found that about her and that she's very accepting. She's very promoting of, you know, what do you want? Okay. Now I'm going to challenge you to stand up for yourself and get it. I'm going to challenge you to look at those shadow parts of yourself and love yourself truly just as you are. We want to change. And um, it's fascinating that, you know, even in this modern age, people are still inspired by this deity who's we think has evolved along with us. You know, all of the Greek gods we think have evolved along with society and humanity uh, to to reach this current age and to help us in our our modern desires and our uh, modern fulfillments and um, realizations. Yeah, that it's it is it's been very interesting. I mean, and, and she's not the only deity I've sort of had this sort of you know had had these kinds of realizations about you know um but but i think she was the one that surprised me the most if that makes sense you know and i don't really think we think about the war part aspects of her you know but that's kind of what sappho is talking about you know sappho's in sappho's invocation she's really talking about you know she's talking about how when 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 you want somebody or want something you have to acknowledge that there's a part of you that isn't really fair about that. You know, you might not be, you know, you might, there's a shadow side to, to wanting someone for yourself, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's, even the invocation is really interesting because it pulls on certain aspects of the, uh, of, of the myth of her, of her um, origin, of Aphrodite's origin, and kind of gives a spin on it that you don't expect, you know, about uh, about the, the kind of and she and Sappho refers to it as her ruthless magic, her ruthless love, you know, that that her love is ruthless, it's absolute, you know, <laughs> so it's yeah, it's very intense. You have to you have to get ready if you're going to do Aphrodite, so. Uh, you know, one of the things about her that is fascinating to me is Julius Caesar wore a ring of Aphrodite on his finger. And, you know, he was a conqueror and he saw her as like a power to help him conquer other people. And there are pictures of, of Aphrodite on the back of Ares war chariot. Mm-hmm. Right. And we just don't think of her in that light. And she fought during the Trojan War, like on the battlefield. There's just so much more to her. I think in the Homeric hymn, there's a line, you know, like uh, Zeus holds sway over all the gods, but is a slave to her, (laughs) which is one of my favorites. 
Like not no one can escape except for maybe Athena, the power of Aphrodite. Like that that love and longing and desire that she brings to other people and to right. gods. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting, you know. By the way, I found I found a reference according according to a 1971 interview with Rolling Stone. Jim Morrison stated that he chose the nickname Lizard King because it was catchy. He thought it was ironic and simple so that people would get used to it because he had a kind of shyness about performing. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know if I believe that. I mean, I've seen videos of him. He oh, he was he was like a weird, awkward uh, yeah, kid for a long I mean, time. He, I mean, when he I know when he started to perform, he, when he first started to perform publicly, he would stand with his back to the yeah. audience. Oh. And, and and he had to start. He had to sort of get into it from there. And once he got into it, he got into it. You know, but he had to. Kind of, he was apparently kind of shy at first. Spent a summer on Tripp's rooftop, writing poetry and tripping on LSD. And when he came off the rooftop, all of a sudden he was the Lizard King, and he'd been transformed hmm. into this, you know, godlike creature. I, I love Jim Morrison. Even he was kind of a dick, but I love Jim Morrison. I had this guy, uh, Richard Allen Miller, who's this uh, like scientist that has a school of gifted children. And I, I said he reminded me of the Rick guy from Rick and Morty, but he uh, he's been on Coast to Coast AM and all this stuff. But he was on the show not too long ago, and uh, I'm not saying I agree with this or believe it because I don't know. But he says that something about he saw Jim Morrison still alive and he was working at like some some kind of a laser company, and he <laughs> saw him still alive. And the weird thing about this guy, Richard Allen Miller, if you look him up. He was one of Timothy Leary's uh, test subjects for LSD because of his uh, intelligence level. And so, and also the story goes that he, that Fox Mulder was based off of him in X-Files and he was involved in X-Files but something happened. And then I guess Chris Carter or something took over, but the guy, look him up. It was definitely a trip, but he told some weird story about him still being alive and sent me all these weird, like, government papers about Jim Morrison. <laughs> I guess I have them somewhere. Uh, it's, a, it's a really, like, great conspiracy theory that Jim is still alive. <laughs> and, you yeah. know, like, throughout the 70s, there were people who would talk about I was listening to the radio late one night, and Jim Morrison came into the studio, and he started talking to the DJ, and they hung out. But back then, you know, you couldn't record the show, right? So it just sort of be this oral tale told over and over again. And Ray Manzarek, the keyboardist of The Doors, basically wrote a book about Jim Morrison still being alive called The Poet in Exile, how the keyboardist of this band meets this guy who was his lead singer, right, that everyone thought was dead. And it was obviously about Jim and Ray. And Manzarek himself used to say, Jim is alive, man. It's, it's like the whole Jim is alive thing is pretty fascinating. It's probably not true, but, you know, it's it's fun to think about. Like, if you were going to fake your death, maybe you could fake your death in 1971. I think it would be impossible today. Yeah. I mean, it, it could be true. I, mean, I don't I have trouble believing it, but uh, anything's possible, you know. I've seen weird little hooded beings standing around a black box that looked like Jaw was in the woods, and my cat jumped at them, and they vanished. So anything, <laughs> anything, anything is possible. But, uh 
Well, it's been great having you two on. Uh, any uh, closing points you'd like to make before you depart? It's been great. We appreciate it so much. Uh, let me, uh, the, the book is Modern Witchcraft with the Greek Gods, Histories, History, Insights, and Magical Practice. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. You guys want to plug anything and any parting words. It's been great. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, get it at Amazon or your favorite bookstore, local bookstore, indie bookstore. Um, that's where I order a lot of my stuff. And uh, Llewellyn is selling it too. If you want to pre-order it, that would be great. Every um, rating uh, review of it helps as well. So um, we just like wrote this book because we love researching them and I think that it really shows there have been some pre-review, pre-release reviews, and it's um, they really attest to the fact that we uh, wanted to do a really good job. We have over 500 footnotes in this book, so we really wanted to point to sources where people could see where we drew this inspiration from. So um, I really think that, you know, if you want to get your hands on it, take a look at it. Um, I'd recommend you to order it and just just take a look and see if it inspires you and in your modern practice, your modern magical practice. So that's all I have to say, Jason. I just love that the Greek gods are this example of constant reinvention. Like you know, they're they're not just stuck in time in the year 200 A.D. or something. You know, they're as alive today as they were back then. There are probably more people who worship the Greek gods in some way or another today than there were 2,000 years ago. I mean, because they're just always on our lips. They're always on our minds. Uh, you, you walk through any city and you see statues and images of the Greek gods everywhere. Uh, they're really inescapable. And I love that about them so much. Well, we appreciate it so much. Thanks so much. You got any a link you'd like to give out uh, for your websites or anything? Uh, yeah, you can find me at Estrella Taylor at Instagram. Uh, EstrellaTaylor.com is my website. There are only like three Jason Mankeys in the entire United States. And so one of them is a Christian preacher. So I'm the one who comes up first. So that will be really easy <laughs> to find. All right. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks so much, uh, both of you. And uh, keep us in the loop on future projects. We'd love to have you back. Thanks yeah, so thank much. Thank you for having you. us tonight. Yeah, this has been fun. Thank you. Uh, have a good weekend. Thanks. And a great day. Great to have you here, too. And uh, you're listening to United Public Radio 107.7 FM New Orleans. Keep on uh, moshing with the apocalypse. No nuclear holocaust so far. Uh, we're, we're waiting on it for sure. And uh, Wham, so uh, let's see uh, what to do now, Wham, what to do now. Well, one of the things I can tell you is doing a little research here, found out that uh, the whole, the, 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 there's a story that's reported as Egyptian in a Greek text called Poetic Astronomy. Uh, which would seem to be invented to justify a connection of Pan with Capricorn. And in that story, Pan was attacked by the monster Typhon and dived to escape into the River Nile. And the parts that were stuck above the water remained a goat, but those under the water were transformed into oh. a fish. Where'd you find and that? I, I found that on Wikipedia. <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, and, right, that's interesting. 
similar. Very well, similar. and and I also found a reference. I didn't. I didn't was unable to find a reference to pan masturbating um, into the Nile. But apparently, there is this ongoing rumor that some archaeologists want to deny, but I think might have a kernel of truth in it that the it, that the pharaoh was supposed to masturbate into the Nile. Weird. Well, no, I have a weird masturbation story. Okay. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right? Okay. Who's going to get that the ghosts have left? I'm kidding. But uh, when I was in high school, well, when I, I was about 15, a woman who was a little older pretty much molested me. Okay. And, uh, and then I had learned, you know, about self-pleasure. But I got caught in the shower to Guns N' Roses, and my brother found out, told a friend, went to the school, told a, the, the friend, told everyone at the school, teachers made fun of me, kids made fun of what, me. What kind of you met, caught you masturbating? Well, I got caught at home doing okay. it, and then it got, it spread to the school that I got caught doing it. And that, back then, I didn't even know what the hell it was. It's my first time, you know, having that experience. So I didn't, you know... I didn't know anything about it. Now, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. Of course, I know that. But back then, I didn't. So I went to school, and a, a teacher would walk up to me and say, Jeffrey, how you doing? And he'd take his hand away. Oh, better not do that because of my hands, right? Because obviously, I was, you know, wanking it all the time like Dracula with Harry Palms. But anyway, Boston Strangler, I mean, I got made fun of everywhere. And next thing you know, the next year, testicular cancer. So it's kind of a weird little, you know, oh, you like think thrown you in the Nile you River. <laughs> they have sort of given itself to you out of guilt or something? I don't know, because a neighbor behind me got testicular cancer. Maybe he was wanking it too. I don't know. But he was older than me when I was younger. And he was in, a lot older than me. He got it and lived right behind me. So it may have been something environmental. There's also a time where a guy picked me up, a friend of my brother's, and dropped me by accident on a pool with concrete, and I hurt myself, you know, got hit in that area. So there's different things. I don't know, but I always just found it kind of weird that, you know, getting caught wanking, Pan got caught wanking, and the same thing. I, it's like that happened to me in high school, dude. I, I understand, bro, Pan. <laughs> but I, I've rambled. I actually rambled that story about Pan wanking it to Nick Redfern once, and he seems like shocked by it. And says, I don't really know what to say about that, Jeffrey. <laughs> or something like, was it? It's like, come on, you got a little bit more for me, don't you? <laughs> that's weird about the Typhonia thing. That's, uh, I never heard that one. That's very similar. So it's probably the same thing. Or maybe the, yeah, well, I probably read it yeah. at some astro site and they just you know broke it down into two sentences or something. It's probably that same story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's lots of different stories of of it, there's lots of different stories of these people. You know, I mean, yeah, well, everybody. I mean, yeah, I mean yeah. based on what I was able to find out, um, kind of like Jason said. Pan, we don't really, um, his his initial worship appears to be connected to the people that lived in Arcadia, that one place. That it's a kind of a mountainous region, and it appears that they're a different, at least originally, were a different ethnicity than the Greeks. 
And so the their, the god Pan was one of their gods, and um, probably because the Greeks eventually sort of adopted him into their pantheon, there probably were a number of different stories about his origin. You know. Yeah. Definitely a trip for sure. There's a lot of chapters in that book about Pan from different authors uh, are pretty interesting. And uh, the statue is always interesting. So I don't know, something I've been thinking about a lot, and maybe you can add some insight, is anxiety. I know Christina has a lot of anxiety and deals with it. And sometimes the level of it gets a little uh, extreme. And I deal with anxiety, but I don't know, sometimes it seems like it's an entity within itself. Like it's just, and there's someone else we know that, deals with it and has some bipolar issues and she has deals with anxiety i've just noticed lately people with anxiety and i mean it can i mean i have it but i don't let it i don't get extreme with it i just kind of let it go but i mean i feel it and say oh that's uncomfortable but I've, I've just noticed like it's weird like just trying to figure it out what it is anxiety well it's it's a, it, it's a lot of different things for different people i mean you know, and, and it's really, um, it's really mediated a lot by, um, how much, how much kind of, un I mean, this is just my opinion, but how, I mean, I'm just looking at myself with this, but how much kind of unmediated trauma there is in someone's life, because part of what anxiety is, at least for me, is, is remembering stuff that's happened in the past and being afraid that that stuff will happen again, <laughs> you know, and trying to figure out ways to keep that from happening or worrying about whether or not I'm going to be able to handle whatever it is again. You know what I mean? It's just kind of worrying. I mean, it, it, Christina is, is a Virgo, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, she's going to worry. I mean, Virgos worry about everything. You know, they worry about, well, they, they, you know, they worry about money and they worry about whether they're good enough and they worry about whether they're going to be able to do this or that. I mean, they're, you know, they pick whatever it is they worry about and then they just sort of hash it, <laughs> hash it out over and over again. I mean, I know that I have this one friend who's a Virgo and she worries constantly about her physical health. I mean, we're talking obsessively about her physical health. And of course, as a result of that, she has issues with her physical health, you know, so um, it's, it's, it's partly just sort of how a person is handling um, how they're facing just, you know, this, the challenges that occur all the time in somebody's life. I mean, I personally feel a lot of anxiety a lot of the time, but that's why I meditate a lot. You know, I, I do all kinds of spiritual practices because if I didn't, I think I would either be on 20 psychotropic, psychotropic drugs or in an, inst, in an institution somewhere. Yeah. You know? And then the crap they want to give you for anxiety is worse than the anxiety. Or exactly. <laughs> a lot of times it is. A lot of times it is. Oh, did, did you, did you read about this weird dream that I had? Yes, I saw that. Yes, is that a strange dream? <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's like I've been thinking about. It was so vivid. I've been thinking about that dream all day. 
If you want to tell it for everyone, yeah. I'll, I'll just read it from my Facebook because, okay, first of all, I've had lots of dreams this week. They've all been very vivid and strange. But this one, it's like I was in a gathering of spiritual individuals, quote unquote, spiritual individuals, like a spiritual gathering kind of. And several of us decided to provide some healing energy to one of the participants. Uh, we used our wands, again, in quotes, our wands, which looked like a cross between a xylophone hammer and a large mushroom. <laughs> After we finished, I realized that I needed an energy boost as well, but I couldn't interest anyone in helping me, except for this one young woman who was rather inexperienced and so was insecure about being able to generate any energy. I called out to the group, hey, is Ingo Swan here? For those of you who know who he was, this is completely strange. Someone in the crowd answered, yeah, he's in the back room. So I approached the person indicated who was writing on a computer and he stood up and it was Freighter Barabbas, a pretty well-known occultist and writer for Llewellyn on ceremonial magic and Kabbalah and who I knew back when for a period of time I was actually in, in an occult lodge that he started in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, he was very helpful when I asked him to do some fire energy work right on the spot while the young woman added what she could. Good job, Freighter Barabbas. And I have no idea if you are connected in any way with Ingo, Ingo Swan. <laughs> and for those of you who may not know who Ingo Swan was, he was the individual who is said to be responsible for creating the process of remote viewing at Stanford Research Institute. Interesting for sure. So, isn't that weird though? It was like in the dream, I'm like, is Ingo Swan here? <laughs> it's like I haven't thought about him. I don't even know. I don't even know how long it's been since I've even thought about him. I just think that's so bizarre. It's like, yeah, definitely. What? And then it watch was, out for those freighters. Yeah, then it was Freighter Barabbas, you know, who was, it was, and it's like, how strange is that? Anyway. Someone brought up an old uh, weird thing Graham did about what happened with me and Travis Walton. I'm sorry, what? Someone <laughs> in the chat brought up something that happened with me and Travis Walton. You know, with, fire with, in the sky. With, with you and Travis Walton? Yes. What happened with you and Travis Walton? Well, one time I interviewed Travis Walton with uh, Thomas Reed together. Uh -huh. It was a good, good interview. It was a long time ago. And, uh, you know, I knew I don't, I don't well, like best friends with Travis or I wouldn't even say friends, but he's recently came on my wall and said happy birthday. But uh, anyway, something happened with Steve Pierce, one of the guys that was in the lumber vehicle that the, when the UFO thing happened, oh, uh -huh. Steve Pierce goes around doing his own little radio thing and something. But anyway, somehow I got caught up in a weird drama between them and they're 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 mad at each other or something and steve pierce kept calling my house and kind of stalking me about something i wrote and it just got really weird and i told travis and travis was like well let me know if he says anything else and it was just a weird kind of a a strange thing uh and but there was some other weird thing that happened with me and travis and this is kind of stupid but from someone i'd heard that Richard Dolan had a threesome with the Starborn sisters, which is some stupid ladies that's from UFOs. But she that go those ladies told someone that I get paid weekly by the dark side. 
and they go around like talking crap about me. And maybe this was before I even heard about the weird threesome with Richard Dolan, which I'm not saying that's true. I just heard it and I made the mistake of repeating it. And somehow Travis Walton found out and brought it up to Graham at a conference or something. <laughs> or something. I heard Jeffrey was talking about Richard Dolan and the Starborn threesome or something that happened. And anyway, since then, Travis has come to my wall and said, happy birthday. But uh, I never told who said that, and I don't bring it up much anymore. But those ladies did go around telling people I get paid weekly by the dark side. Like, I guess by the, the, dark, by the dark side. Yeah, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. They're talking about fundamentalist Christians. Yeah, it's like if I get paid weekly by the dark side, Satan owes me a back check because I haven't got crap. <laughs> but uh, weird Travis Walton drama. But him and that Steve Pierce, I guess, don't get along. And they were some of the, you know, the original dudes in the truck together or whatever. Uh, he said, the guy said, uh, Travis did not like hearing my name when I met him in Roswell. <laughs> but he brought up the Starborn thing or something. I've heard all kinds of weird stuff about Richard Dolan being a sleazer. And then got a divorce because of it or something, which I don't know what's true or not. But Richard Dolan's gone on uh, KGRA and told everyone I was crazy after me and Race got into those fights and stuff about the pedo being on his network and all that crazy stuff. Like, I guess that was their way of trying to get get back at me for it or something like that. Because basically, I exposed a, a child raper on their network and told everybody about it. And Race had to you know, make a statement about it and said that he knew it when he hired him and he believes in second chances and all this crazy stuff. <laughs> it was crazy. That's when uh, Jamie Havikin from that same network sent me a video of him threatening to hack me. And you can hear it's him. I still have it. You can hear it's him. And he's like at his screen saying, Jeffrey, this is what I could do to you. And he pulls up this little contraption showing my address and threatening me and stuff like i really you know shook up that nest over there uh about the bill Ford thing and that all happened from an ex of mine who i call chicken lady went on their uh radio this was a long time ago uh on their radio show and made fun of me for living in a mobile home which i don't live in any and now anyway not that i care if i do or not but they said i was poor and lived in a mobile home and made fun of me and she was used to be a patient of bud hopkins uh, and uh, but anyway, that's what started that whole thing. She went over there talking trash, and then I knew this girl named Sonic who's young, like 19 or something, 18. Her dad owned Bowen Trucking, and Race Hobbs and Bill Fort went to her house and said she won a catfish contest. And her dad and uncle ran them off and that bill fork pulled her aside and said i'm not supposed to be here i'm on the child whatever you know for a child predator i'm not supposed to be you know alone with you and that's how i found out about it but that was weird like her i mean imagine a, a kgra radio i don't want to get into this too much longer but they show up at this young girl's house saying you won a contest and it freaks her, your your uncle and dad out that they run you off you know, just seemed kind of weird, but I exposed all that and they got really mad. <laughs> I, I, I kind of sort of that's I think a lot of that was happening when I was first on the show. So I, I kind of remember you being in a series of online sort of fights 
with different people, you know what I mean? Steve from Maine came after me about that, and uh, he was on there, like a whole group of them. There's some other ones, Steve Hodges, like all these MUFON people and stuff came after me. But, I mean, my defense was, pedo on your network, here's the New York registry. That was my defense. So it's like they're kind of like, like, you know, stunned. But I try to avoid that stuff now. I'm too old and old and fat for that kind of stuff. So <laughs> except for when Andy comes on next week and says, well, 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 let, 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 let Andy talk. I don't know if you've been noticing what he's been posted. Is it Lauren Coleman's a Nazi? Yeah, yeah, the Lauren Coleman pan, (laughs) rebirth of pan thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have that PDF somewhere. I never read it, but I know what you're talking about. Rebirth of pan, yeah. The white supremacist weird thing. William Griswold or whatever his name is, you know, whatever his name is. Andy was uh, nice enough. I told him some of my books got messed up by mice. And a a long time after it, he sent me a a package in the mail that was so heavy. I don't know how the hell he fit 50 books in one box of those books that he puts out. And he sent it to me and I had to like carry it. That was like heavy, but very generous of him. I mean, to to replace the ones that were. Yeah. Well, it wasn't like exact replacements. It was just books that he was getting rid of or whatever from his uh, publisher. But I'm still going through them. Some of the books that got hit by the mice, I still need to get. But some of them may be in there. But there was just an assortment of titles. So hopefully some of them are the ones that the mice got. But if not, I'll just get those another time. But uh, chances are there's a few in there that will replace the ones that did. But the other ones were ones I just didn't have ever. So it was still cool. Right. Just a lot of weird, weird books from his publishing thing. But he's coming on next week. I need to keep checking on, checking in with him. And uh, going to talk about Nazis. Nazis and the para Is that what he's going to Yeah, talk? yeah. So that should be interesting. Well, you know, I, I, I've talked I'm about I'm not against the idea. It wouldn't surprise me. No, I've talked about that, too. I've been interviewed by, about it a couple times. So it's not it's not unusual, unfortunately. This is, yeah. this is like complex with different pen names and different different things and it's pretty weird, so we definitely down the rabbit hole. Some inglorious bastards. We're gonna need to bear you <laughs> for sure. But uh, we'll, we'll do that next week. I forgot who my last one is. Oh yeah, I got the oh the lady about Juju. Yeah, and then uh, the weird craft or whatever. Which that's the last show of the year with Jay. If you want to sit in on weird craft, let me know. But that was just okay. a scheduling thing that. Just the way it played out, and then I'm working on January, but uh, with Bruce, that book comes out this month, I think. That new book, it, that it, book. It, just, it just came out, it just came out. It's 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 kind of expensive, um, it's but but that's because he's privately published it, you know, what yeah. I mean? it's, a, it's his own publication, so. We may have to get him on for that and then make him come on again for Hammer. I don't know if we'll be able to fit Hammer into that, too. We'll try somehow. <laughs> Put some Hammer in there at the end. To tell him oh, like, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he'll he'll talk about that. He'll talk about whatever. I mean, he tells great stories. He's just really good at storytelling. Yeah. Well, it's going to be a good one. 
uh, for sure. Where do you know him from? Oh, well, he lives just up the way from me. I, I mean, he's one of the people I interviewed for my book. And I first met him uh, for Mysterious Beauty. And I first met him through um, Gail Beatty. Um, <clears throat> they were doing a, um, I don't know how the two of them met, but they were doing a joint um, presentation at the Tivoli Library about Bigfoot. And so he, she, she was uh, doing some of her own stuff. And then he had just published a book called Strange Creatures in New York or something like that. And so um, I, I, that's where I met him and, and uh, found out that, you know, he had had his own very specific experiences up in Kinderhook. And in fact, um, and this is what I wrote about in the book, uh, he's, ha he's had a lifetime of bizarre experiences, um, ranging from uh, various weird kind of ghost-like beings that he and some of his cousins saw to the Kinderhook thing, which um, the, the house, the ancestral house that his grandmother lived in that that he was raised in was sort of a, a center of the activity of the Kinderhook monster um, to, to poltergeist activity in his house. Um, you'll have to make sure. And if you remember to ask him about the, uh, the disappearing coleus plant, that's like one of my favorite stories that he tells, <laughs> you know, so it's uh, he uh, to UFOs that he, he and his mother saw, I, mother or grandmother, I think it's his mother saw um, over the Hudson River. So all kinds of stuff. You're 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 muted, sir. Yeah. I'll definitely uh, try to remember that, or definitely you do. You'll be there too. But yeah, I'll, I'll be. I'll, I'll be. By then, I'll forget it. But <laughs> oh yes, yeah, January, so it is a ways away. But yeah, we'll yeah. definitely get into all that. Oh, sure. I like small town monsters. I've had them on before. Uh, like their DVDs. I didn't know. I guess they're just starting to do books and stuff. Yeah, I mean, his, his, uh, I'm glad that someone has decided to do, to do his story because, um, you know, the chapter that I did in my book, I intended it to be sort of a, a first telling of his story. Um, and, and, uh, you know, um, it was kind of a summary, um, but but if 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 this other book is is more of a of a of a longer treatment of his story, that that will be very cool because it's very interesting. He, I mean, he has a his family. It's not just him, but various members of his family have sort of a long history of strange experiences. So. We'll definitely check it out for sure. Hold on, just you're muted again, sir. I know. Okay, I was just making sure Christina was getting up. Okay, I'll see you in a bit. Just making sure. Okay, bye. Well, okay, so she needed you to. Well, she had an alarm, but sometimes her phone's act weird and they don't go off when you set the alarm or an important call coming and it'll show it not. 
it'll go to voice and not pick up like just weird crap all the time i don't know it's just crappy sometimes <laughs> it's always some kind of crap but yeah bruce sounds good i've tried to get him on before but something he could he didn't want to do it then but now he is ready so that's good that's good hammer though i definitely want to talk about that i love hammer hammer stuff so i gotta i better squeeze it in because may not be able to get him back for a round two so we'll have to squeeze some in on the, the tail end of that i know hammer's still around sort of and putting out oh, some yeah. movies putting out some different yeah. movies that the right one in maybe one of them the newer one that like I know they just started that show on Showtime too, let the right one in based on some Swedish author's book about vampires or something. That was pretty interesting. But uh, I saw Terrifier 2, which is crazy. Uh oh. Just dog 30 time. But uh, so, how's everything been going with your uh, audio, audio book and everything? And so. Oh, well, I think okay. I mean, it's, you know, um, I've had I've had a few interviews in the last oh I don't know two weeks two or three weeks excuse me and um, I'm still getting used to the time change and um, in you know I've had some I, in in those interviews I've been able to talk about it uh, talk about the audiobooks a little bit uh, especially the final season one. You know the one of the um, uh, the Lovecraft stories, and um, so it's been kind of fun. You know, um, I I the I mean it's selling the the I've, I I get a little bit of royalty every every month um, between the regular print books and the um, audible books, so. Um, they're going okay. You know, Mike did a great job on them. The dogs tried to escape there. Yeah. During, during everything. <laughs> but uh, are you working on anything else in the future? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put together a couple of different things. It's just a matter of me having some time and some brain space. So, um, you know, um there's there's a there's one manuscript I've been working on for a while um, that I've that I just have to sort of decide how to organize it you know what I mean to yeah. try to get it together um, and it has to do with um, it actually has to do with um, Sufi practices and gin magic um, and uh, um, and then uh, there are a couple of other stories that have sort of been floating around. I've, I've actually, and I've, and I've got to update my, um, my website, which I haven't done for about a month. So, you know, there are a number of different things I'm trying to work on, get done. Definitely keep us in the loop. What about the African-American UFOs? Is that ever going to see any light? That I don't know about whether it is or not. Now I just did a I just did an interview with Rob Christofferson about the Harrison Bailey um, UFO abduction case, which is an African American um, UFO abduction case, and we talked quite a bit about um, 
you know, we talked, actually we brought up information in my, or I talked about stuff that's in my dissertation and, um, uh, and we talked about racism, you know, in the, in the UFO community, um, and, you know, in the, in the, the leadership of the UFO community and, uh, you know, in MUFON, stuff like that. So, you know, I guess I'm talking about it at that level, but I haven't really figured out exactly how to put it together into a book, you know, that's a, a writing of some type. What was the African-American case? The, um, uh, the Harrison Bailey, it's, um, you, you can, frog people. Yeah, well, that's part of what he saw, but it's much more complicated than that. The uh, the whole entire case um, was uh, it was extensively um, researched by Andruffel, who was you know a a, a colleague of D. Scott Rogo. Uh, what is his name? Rogo, who um, f- was one of the first people who wrote about the case um, quite a bit, and. Um, so, and several people mention his story. His story has got a lot of interesting characteristics in it. He was an interesting person. Um, and, and Rob had a lot of um, additional information, like biographical information about Harrison that I didn't know. So it was kind of an interesting discussion. You know, he had, when, when I talked about Harrison's case in my dissertation, I didn't go into depth um, I didn't go into depth, depth about, um, Harrison's background so much. Um, I just mostly told the story the way Rogo had told it, but, um, apparently, um, Harrison had a, had a lot of different types of experiences through the course of his life. Yeah. And of course, you know, um, that, that's not uncommon, as you know. That's to to have lots of different types of experiences, and we talked about we compared his experience to, you know, the to Barney of the Betty and Barney Hill case, and it was it was it was an okay interview. It'll it'll come out probably in the next couple of weeks. Nice, nice. We'll definitely keep us in the loop for that one. Uh, and I saw something about that Bailey somewhere. I read something, and I think it was maybe Mysterious Universe or something. I think uh, Nick Redfern might have brought it up or something like that. Uh, but mostly just trying to, I don't know, I like to get guests that people know of, but a lot of times I like to get these guests that, I mean, people know of them, but there are certain guests that I consider star effort guests, and uh, the big ones that are usually like on every show all the time. And I, I don't know. I've just been kind of getting away from that lately. I don't want to name any names, but it's just right. like uh, I like to find, you know, I guess ones that maybe are, aren't all the time on shows, you know. And that's why right. Llewellyn's good. Llewellyn's been given the ultimate hookup with uh, very unique authors all the time. Like I'm even, they're fixing to do some guy that makes uh, symbols and uh, was sigils. What's it called? S I G I sigils. Sigils. For Friday, thirteenth January, and everything, so that's a good one. And then uh, another one that they recommended was North American Folk Magic, which seems pretty cool. Oh yeah, uh-huh. that's a new one coming out. 
from those guys uh, in next year. And uh, so they, they're pretty good at getting guests going. And then Graham's coming on, so that's going to be a good one. He's a, a trip for sure. Right now he's in uh, the chat under Kill Kebabs Anti-Bacon Workshop of Death, whatever that is. He's crazy. I keep finding, I find weird videos on YouTube from him that I didn't even know he made. There's one where he's pretending to be an FBI agent warning me about the show and I should take that off air. And then there's one where he goes into a DMV and he's wearing a hat and he's asking if he can keep it on for his religion, Church of Mabus. Like he does crazy, like weird little videos. I found the FBI one. I don't even think I'd ever seen that. Like he has dark sunglasses on. And he's like, this is the FBI preacher and like these little characters, it's <laughs> so crazy. But we're gonna have him on and all his personalities in January. So and this art, so you can always find that on uh, my wall and uh, on Facebook and everything. So that should be a good one. And he was doing some creepy tax. I don't know what some kind of creepy animal job where you have to get animals pests they consider them pests it's kind of gruesome the way they handled it but he's not doing that anymore probably better off not doing that one it sounds like you'd be depressed from doing it but i'd like to get into some of the weird animal stuff that they did it's almost like some norman bates kind of creepy stuff like for the like this is creepy place where he lives and i forget the exact state because my memory sucks don't you live in like idaho or iowa or something i forget but anyway it's like you know they come and they're Idaho there's some kind of a uh, you know critter that's bothering you and they come and get it and then it's just kind of you know yeah, it's just weird it reminds me of Norman Bates <laughs> but uh that'll be a good one and you can see his art it's like a weird art of uh, all kinds of different stuff uh demons eating babies and skinwalkers and werewolves and <laughs> Demon, demons eating babies okay Bigfoot wrestling a horse or something i forget there's just so many different ones uh all the time well uh, i think i'm gonna end about 10 minutes early because i'm gonna help christina go to work because she's kind of getting used to this so i'm gonna get her coffee and food before she goes because uh, when you don't get any sleep and then you have to go to a nut house I'm going to try to help a little bit. So I'm going to end about 10 minutes early. That's so, cool. I, I understand. It's kind of like a, she's doing sort of a new thing here. Yeah, definitely. So everybody will see you. Uh, we got, we take off next week and we'll be back in uh, December uh, 2nd with Andy Colvin. So Wham will be here. It's going to be crazy when Nazis infiltrating the crypto world of paranormality. Which yeah. doesn't surprise me. There's, I'm sure there's evidence of it. I mean, I know there's weird stuff that you've written stuff about and written stuff about. But we appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Wham. And we'll see you not this week coming up for Thanksgiving. We're off. We'll see you the next week in December. Have a good weekend, everybody. You too. Good night. Good night.